guys are like, what happened to all the tables? Well, we had something on Friday, and we uh, had rows, and so, uh, plus we like to keep you guys guessing, so we don't want everyone to think you know. All right, so we're in a series called, um, well, okay, let me back up. This year, we're focusing on four pillars, and so uh, the four pillars are encounter God, be, belong and never stand alone, get trained and equipped, and co-missioned to change the world. And so uh, we're in a series about encountering God, and so if you remember over Christmas, we looked at encountering God through promises. Last time, we looked at encountering God through abiding, and we're going to continue today. So when I was in seminary way back in the 1800s, the, um, my wife and I, so I had this terrible fear of public speaking, and so one of the ways to get over it, you just got to do it, right? And so we started a, a nursing home ministry every Friday night. And so I figured, you know what, maybe it'd be a little less intimidating, you know, preaching to the nursing home. And so we got with two other couples. So every single Friday, I tell you, you learn some things in the nursing home in preaching. I tell you what, it's like if you're looking for like excitement and amens, uh, th- this place did not have it. Maybe some nursing homes do. And so I remember uh, one time uh, where I was preaching and uh, these two people, <clears throat> they couldn't really hear and they were trying to talk to each other. And they couldn't hear, so they started yelling at each other. And then they thought that person was yelling at them, and they started a fist fight right in the middle of the, of the sermon. We had to break it up. I remember um, another time I was preaching, and um, this, uh, this guy had a walker, and he's, he's walking up inch and slow. And so I think he's going to come up and, like, ask me something. And he just goes right past me and goes for the television and turns it on full blast. Like, oh, I'm teaching. I'm like, seriously? And uh, <laughs> another time... It was like winter, and so we were with a couple of the couples. We had our coats, and uh, the girls put their purses on the table. And I'm speaking, and this guy goes up there and starts going through the purses and starts going through the pockets, right, while we're over teaching there. And so, and so we would do worship there, and there was one song that always, like, killed it. It was like their song. It was In the Garden. You guys remember In the Garden? And it got to, you know... Uh, I, I can't sing it. I, I, I mouthed the words when the girls did it. But um, there's a part where it says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. I remember as a kid when we sang this song, I always thought it was Andy walks with me, Andy talking. I'm like, who's Andy? Who's this Andy guy that's walking and talking with you, right? But um, it's, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he t- tells me I am his own. And there's just something about that, that thought of walking with God that's just so precious. And so you see that um, that's always been God's desires to be with his people. He's never wanted to be in this galaxy far, far away with this booming voice. And we come groveling before him. I mean, you see in the garden, uh, you know, he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That's always been his desire is to fellowship with his people. It's interesting. The first thing that happens with Adam and Eve's sin, uh, they don't get punished. He doesn't come and yell at them and say, do you know what you've done? You've thrown all the creation into a twirl, you know. Um, He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? He's like, where are my friends? I I miss you. And he comes back to walk with them. And so walking is, uh, is uh, you know, I, I, I talked about this the other week. We love the whack. We love those unsettlings with God, those encounters with God, but we need the walk as well. We need, we need both of those things. We see um, uh, God, he so wanted to be with his people, he had them set up a tabernacle where he could, he, he could tabernacle, he could dwell among his people. Then you got Joseph, and uh, you see that he, was, he went from the pit to the to the pinnacle, back to the prison, to the palace, lots of peas there. And, he, um, and there's this phrase that kept being repeated throughout the story, and God was with Joseph. Uh, you see Gideon as he's cowering in the, in, the, in the grain silo, and God's calling him to this impossible mission, and he's like, how am I going to do this? And God says, I will be with you, right? And so uh, God, he, he wanted, always wanted to dwell with us, and so he had them build a temple. And here's the good news, now we are that temple. God wants to dwell with us. 
So any impossible situation, I love you know, Moses. He's getting ready to face this impossible situation, the mightiest army on the planet. And God gives us, and he has all these excuses, like, I can't talk, I'm not good at this. And God seems to ignore all of his objections and just gives them the one thing, I will be with you. So the great delight of the Christian life, the thing that makes the impossible possible, is that God will be with us. And so we talked about living in that reality. The Bible talks about abiding. Uh, if you guys remember, I had the plant, I snipped off the branch, and everybody like got mad at me. And so, um, but, but remember, the branch, uh, it, as long as the branch is connected to the root system, everything's going well. The life that's in the roots gets, goes right up to the, to the branches. And Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. You stay connected to me, there'll be fruit. So we were saying it like this, when you abide, fruit is inevitable. When you don't abide, fruit is impossible. And so God, is, uh, God has called us to bear impossible fruit. And the only way we can do that is to stay connected to the vine. So your job as a believer is be a good branch. That's it. Stay connected to the vine. So what does that mean to abide? It means to live in that reality, to dwell in that reality. Uh, you say abide, think of the word abode. It's like to live in it, to dwell in, to continue in that reality. So I remember when Mary and I, uh, we started kind of coming into this revelation is when we had, two, uh, it was our first two boys, and they were 15 months apart. And so they call it having twins the hard way. And so we didn't have any family uh, that lived near us to help. Uh, they, um, they weren't sleeping great. I always say our kids, you know, started sleeping through the night right about two or three years old. And so uh, lots of sleepless nights. I remember one time, so, okay, I'm just going to, I was a good husband when the babies were, uh, were small. And so uh, I, I don't know if I was a good husband or if I just didn't realize the logic, but Mary said, I get them all day you get them at night. And so I, I never thought it through. It just kind of made sense at the time. My defenses were low. And so, and so she, you know, I, the kids would cry. I'd get up and bring them, and she'd nurse them, and I'd you know, try to get them back to sleep. I remember one time, um, I mean, I was so sleep-deprived. I, uh, I did a lot of counseling at the church that I was on staff at. And this lady came in, and um, she's you know, sharing her difficulties with me, and I totally fall asleep right in the middle of it. And uh, I'm not sure if you've ever like, been asleep and you have like, that sensation like you're falling. And so I do that. And I had that like jerk thing. And, I, and I, I came too. And she's packing up her purse. And I'm like, no, no, it's not you. It's like my kids. You know, I'm so sorry. And uh, I don't want my voice just did the Seinfeld high thing there. But <laughs> I remember one time I was so sleep deprived. I, was, uh, I woke up in the middle of the floor to this loud bang. And I, um, I had fallen asleep standing up. And I had fallen backwards. And the bang was my head on the ground. And uh, luckily, I, had, I must have put the baby, uh, one of the boys back in the crib, but the crib was pulled out like five feet from the wall. So just totally sleep deprived. So it's in this season, we're like, how do we, how do we like, because at that time, it was like, it was all about quiet time. You have to have time with God. You have to set aside this quiet time, this 15 minutes, this hour, whatever it is. It's like, that's what counted was that alone time with God. And we started coming to a realization, it all counts. It's not like this holy 15 minutes, this holy hour with God that counts. All of life counts. And so, because um, Mary's like, I don't feel like I'm getting in my quiet time. And I'm like, there, there is no quiet time when you have little kids. It's like, you know. And so, um, yeah, I mean, she used to love going to the store just to leave me with the kids so she could see what it was like. So I could see what it was like, right? And so, so she started putting up scriptures around the house. I mean, so she'd have these little cards, and so she'd kind of put them on the, like, you know, like by the dishwasher on the cabinets in the mirror. And so as she'd do that, she would stop and just begin to spend time with the Lord right there. It's like, okay, th this counts here. 
And so then I um, came across a teaching by Dallas Willard and John Orberg about what it would look like to spend an ordinary day with Jesus. And so I'm going to be sharing a lot of what I've learned with you from there. But I think a lot of people think in order to spend time with God, in order to be a spiritual person, you need to resign from life. You need to pretty much be a monk, go stay in a monastery, at least have a different season of life. No more work. The kids are out of the house. But here's some good news. You don't have to wait until the pressures of life subside. Is, uh, the, the Apostle Paul actually said the opposite is true. Um, the place to grow close to God is actually in your everyday life. Get this. You don't have to do a whole bunch of new things. You can do the things you're already doing with God. This is good news. Listen to Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what's it mean to do something in Jesus' name? It's not just a formula that you pronounce. To do something in the name of Jesus means to do it in his character and the manner that he would do it. A name represented the whole person. And so whatever you do, so I love how comprehensive this is. Whatever you do, how many of you know everything you do falls into the whatever you do? But just in case you missed it, he says, in word or in deed, and if you're still looking for a loophole, he says, in everything, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so... Um, when you become Christians, Jesus comes, he lives inside of us. Now there's this partnership, not this performance. I don't know about you, so much of my Christian life I spent trying to live for God. As if he's up, you know, the, I, I get the whole audience of one thing, you know, but like I'm living for him. But we're not just living for him, we're living with him, right? Like I'm not, I'm not living to just impress my, life, my wife, I like living with her. We're doing life together. So um, as, you know, as a pastor, sometimes you, you, know, you do funerals, and when you, when you talk to people, the thing they say they miss the most is, I just miss being with them. What do they miss? They miss presence. That's, that's what God has invited us into, a life of presence with him. We get to do life with God. So what does this mean? I'm going to ask you to do an exercise in your imagination. You guys ready for this? You're like, I didn't sign up for this. Well, now you signed up for it, okay? So I want you to imagine that tomorrow morning you wake up and open your eyes, and there is God sitting right next to your bed. And you're surprised because you're expecting your spouse who doesn't look at all like God, especially first thing in the morning. Or you're thinking maybe it was your roommate or maybe you just weren't expecting anybody. But there it is. God is sitting on your bed. And God says to you, I've been here all night watching you as you sleep, thinking about how much I love you. And I'd like to spend the day with you today. I'd like to help you and guide you, give you strength, give you wisdom. Mostly, I just want to be with you because you mean so much to me. Would that be okay with you? And you're so excited. I mean, you can hardly believe it. You tell them, that's the best offer I've ever had. I'd love for you to be part of my day. I'd love that. And so you start your day with God together. Nobody else can see him. It's kind of like this secret thing between the two of you. But you find that it makes all the difference in the world because you're doing the day with God. You find it changes your whole mindset, your whole attitude. You're just not troubled or anxious about the things that usually get you upset. So let's look at eating breakfast. What would it mean to eat breakfast in Jesus' name? Some of you, it means you'd probably actually eat breakfast, right? Would it affect the amount of gratitude you feel or the pace at which you eat? We're going to go through these one at a time. I'm just kind of trying to set the table here. Driving. What would it look like to drive in Jesus' name? <laughs> if Jesus were in the passenger seat next to you, would he be nervous? I understand the theological problems of God. Can God be nervous? But some of you, he would be nervous. Would you drive any slower than normal? Would you be, <laughs> like, forget it. Would you be careful how you salute other drivers? <laughs> Working. 
How about your work? Whether you work in an office, you work at home, you go to school, you're retired, how might your daily work be different if you were to do it in Jesus' name? When your boss tells you about some serious problem and he says it's your responsibility to fix it, how would knowing that God is looking to partner with you in that problem with wisdom and energy and guidance affect you? Let's look at worrying. A huge part of uh, people's life, uh, of their ordinary day, consists of concerns and worries. Scientists have actually identified a gene. It's labeled SLCA64 that can predispose you to worry. Now, how many of you are worried that you may have that gene now that I've told you that? Yeah. Doing, an ordinary, uh, doing ordinary household tasks. What would it mean to vacuum the carpet or pay bills in Jesus' name? Shopping. How would you shop in Jesus' name? Would you buy different things or fewer things or more things if he were present? Maybe buy things on sale? I don't know what it would look like. Doing everyday relationships. Think about your relationships, your family, your friends, your neighbors. Paul said, whatever we do in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Think of the words you've spoken so far. If you only uttered words in Jesus' name, how many words would you have to take back? Are there any you know of right now that you wish you could take back? Is your spouse nudging you with her elbow in her, in her ribs right now? What would it mean to relate to Jesus' name to, with people that you dislike? What would it mean to relate to people in Jesus' name on social media? Right, because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, Facebook speaks, right? And so as you go out through out your day, you find, you're finding that your gratitude and your confidence and your wonder and your joy levels going up, and you don't ever feel lonely. And you find that not only do you like being with him, but you like the person that you're becoming in the process. And sometimes there's moments you don't want him around. There's moments, to tell you the truth, where you've got something to say or something you want to do, and you don't really want God there. But here's the amazing thing. You can talk to him about those times as well. And he says, listen, we can work on this together. We can work this out. And at the end of the day, you're back in your bed, and you end the day just the way you started it, with him, talking with him. You talk about what went well. You talk about where things went wrong and what you can learn. And the last thing before you go to sleep, you ask him, almost like a little kid, do you think you could stay with me a little bit longer? And he says, well, my plan is to sit here all night and watch you while you sleep. That's one of my favorite things to do. And tomorrow, if you want... We can do this again. How does that sound? Oh, we got two goods. Okay. How's that sound? I got some good news. Jesus promised it would be so. Listen to Matthew 28, 20. He says, I am with you always until the end of the age. John 14, 16. I'll ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I love this phrase that in the Bible is he says he walked, they walked with God. Enoch and Noah and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Abraham and Sarah and David and the 12 disciples. And here's the thing about living in Jesus' name. It's kind of like manna. It comes in one-day doses. You can't do it in a hurry. You don't worry about all the future. Each moment is an opportunity to spend it with him. And if you forget about him for a long time during the day, I got some good news for you. There's another moment that you can pick up right back then, guilt-free. No shame for how long you've gone. Uh, Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. So I want to I go through these a little bit uh, at a time and kind of go through some detail on them. But uh, for the most part, I want you to see it doesn't mean doing a whole bunch of new things. I think when we think of spirituality, it's like, okay, I'm going to have to start reading my Bible. I need to pray in tongues a certain amount of time. 
I need to memorize some scripture and, you know, all this whole, no, no, no. We get to do the things we're already doing with him. I think that's a big point. So here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to look at, I kind of bullet pointed some activities. Who did not get a piece of paper with, with some notes on it? Anybody besides my wife? Can you look at Sean's? All right. I think it's like everyone else got one. Well, good job. Welcome team on getting everyone paper. But did anyone not get one? I just, I want to make sure I didn't see any hands here. All right, right there, right there. So, thanks, Jonathan. All right, so I, I kind of got some bulleted things. There's sleeping, waking up, eating, doing everyday relationships, working, handling conflicts, spending money, driving, doing household chores, watching TV, recreational activities. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sh- uh, look at the, those, and I want you to think about the one or two activities that are the hardest for you to do in Jesus' name. Okay, so just look through that list first. So just take about 10, 15 seconds there. What are the one or two that are the hardest for you to do in Jesus' name? Those of you watching online, sleeping, waking up, eating, doing everyday relationships, working, handling conflict, spending money, driving, doing household chores, watching TV, or your recreational activities. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get with one, two, three other people, and I want you to share which one is the hardest for you to do and why. So I'll see you in about two minutes. Hardest for you to do and why. Go for it.
together. I hadn't planned on doing this. I'm just kind of curious. I, I'd, love, I'd love to just see the representative. How many of you sleeping was on your list? Sleeping? All right. I'm pretty, waking up? Eating? Oh, yeah, you guys are all perfect at eating, right? Yeah, I just do it with total gratitude, yeah. Um, doing everyday relationships. It's the people that make it difficult, yeah, all right. Working? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Handling conflict? Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly Jesus in this situation, right? <laughs> Spending money? Driving? Seriously, men, seriously. <laughs> Two guys, really. I know one who should have had their hand up. <laughs> Household chores? All right. Watching TV? Recreational activities? All right. All right, interesting. All right. All right, beginning the day with Jesus. Let's talk about Let's talk about the beginning of the day. So I want to give you a little biblical quiz to test your biblical knowledge here, okay? According to the Old Testament, when does the day start? I'm going to give you a couple options here, okay? A, when the alarm clock goes off, okay? Isn't that just a terrible name, like alarm clock? Like, it's day, be alarmed, something terrible could happen. How about the seize the day clock? The resurrection clock, huh? Come on. Or is it B, when the alarm clock goes off for the fifth time, because you know you can hit the snooze button five times and still be, yeah, still be? C, when Starbucks opens, right? You just open up a vein, just, just get it right in there. Or D at night? What do you guys think? It's D, right? According to the Old Testament, the day actually begins at night. So Genesis 1-5 says there was evening and there was morning the first day. Throughout the Bible description of creation, the day began the night before. So when it comes to Sabbath, uh, when the Jews celebrate Sabbath, when does it start? At sundown, right? It starts the day before. So in the Hebrew way of thinking, the day always begins at night. And Eugene Peterson, who translated the uh, paraphrase of the message paraphrase, he explains why this is so important. Thinking about night as the beginning of the day reminds us that everything doesn't depend on us. Well, that's good. We go to sleep, but God is working all through the night, so we don't have to be anxious or rushed. When we wake up, we will simply join him in his work. That's good stuff. So when we acknowledge the day begins at night, uh, we, the first thing we're going to have to do to spend the day with Jesus, we're going to have to learn how to sleep in the name of Jesus, all right? So believe it or not, the Bible teaches us some things about sleep. It tells us sleep is an act of trust. Psalm, third, Psalm 3, verse 5, David writes, I lie down in sleep, I awake again, because the Lord sustains me. So when we sleep, it's this act of trust saying, God, you are quite capable of running this world without me, right? It's this act of trust. You're giving those. The Bible also teaches that sleep is a gift from God. Psalm 127, 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for the Lord grants sleep to those he loves. Some of you, that needs to become a theme verse to you. It seems like sleep is the gift that nobody wants. It's like everyone's bragging about how little they're sleeping. So how do we practice sleep discipleship? Okay, how do we do this? Some of you guys, you didn't know you were going to get this this morning, but this is what you're getting here. So how do you practice sleep discipleship? Here's a couple of suggestions. First, get enough sleep. Despite the fact that the Bible says sleep is a good thing, people are exhausted. Uh, some people, they uh, go to bed exhausted, they wake up exhausted, they stay exhausted the whole day. One study found approximately 24,000 people in the United States die every year in car accidents caused by sleep deprivation. 
A lot of people think the Exxon Valdez oil spill was a result of alcohol, and that was a part of it. But the main cause was a person who had only slept six out of the previous 48 hours and was severely sleep deprived. So sleep causes people to have arguments with friends and spouses and do subpar work and be less loving and act more irritable and generally just feeling miserable. At least that's what my wife says about me. And so, listen, this isn't just a consequence of like our fast-paced society. Well, listen, you know, in the Bible days, you didn't have to face this. Remember the night before Jesus' uh, death, what were the disciples doing? They kept falling asleep. They were just tired. They couldn't stay awake. And so fatigue is one of the greatest barriers to spiritual life. I'm not sure if you recognize this. It's hard to act like Jesus when you're sleep deprived. If you don't believe me, just get around someone who hasn't sleep in a bunch of time. You're not like, you're just like Jesus. This is amazing. You're just reminding me of him. So this may sound odd, but for some of you, the single most spiritual thing you can do is get enough sleep. It's starting to sink in. It's starting to sink in. So here's a couple of practical suggestions on getting enough sleep. Um, Go to sleep at the same time each night. So just arrange for it, okay? Um, Avoid coffee, food, or exercise right before you go to bed. Uh, Don't watch television until real late in the night. If you're married, um, experts suggest that you make love every night just before bedtime. I actually made that up. (laughs) But you might want to try it. Just don't email me. I don't want to hear about it. See how it goes. See how it goes. Second thing you can do to uh, go to sleep in Jesus' name is resolve conflicts before going to bed. <laughs> I wrestle with whether or not to put that one in there, but as a resolve conflicts before going to bed. What we think about when we drift off to sleep often affects our emotional state when we wake up. And uh, that's why it's, it's one of the reasons. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. This may be hard, but as much as it's humanly possible, resolve those conflicts before you go to bed at night. Um, You might only be able to say, God, I can't fix this right now. I'm going to trust you with it, and I'm asking you for the answer when I wake up. Um, If you're, uh, I I don't know what it looks like, but, um, you know, when you go to bed angry at your spouse and you're in the same bed together, I don't know, but someone has to go first to make up. Someone has to put that foot across the halfway point and go and touch the leg of the other spouse, kind of like a scouting expedition to see if it's okay. You guys know what I'm talking about? Someone has to go first on that one. Yeah, it's like yeah, the, the spies scouting out the promised land. Yeah. Is it okay, you know? Yeah. As far as sleeping too, um, take a few moments at the end of the day before you go to sleep and just review your day with God. Just you and God together. So what does this look like? It's like a, like, like a sports team watching a game film. They're reviewing the game film. What you're doing is you're going through your day in your mind. And you're looking at there's opportunities where, man, I can really, you know, where there's opportunities to be thankful, go ahead and thank God. Where maybe there's some things that you wish hadn't happened, you can talk to God about those and ask for grace in those things. And so it's a great time for Thanksgiving and all that. So once you're getting enough sleep, you're resolving conflicts, you're reviewing your day with God. Uh, one of the things I like to do when I, as I'm drifting off to sleep is I like to invite Jesus to be with me the next day. And so I, it's something like this, God, when I wake up, I want my first thought to be about you. And I can't believe how many times when I pray that I'll wake up with a song, I'll wake up with some type of dream where God was in it. And so just simply just requesting that. So now we're going to come to, uh, so that's how you go to bed. That's how you go to sleep in the name of Jesus. Let's look at waking up where a lot of people think the day begins here. So what do you normally like in the morning? All right. They say there's two types of people. People who love to wake up in the morning and people who hate those who love to wake up in the morning. Right. And they typically get married. Right. 
And so um, maybe you're the second, and even Jesus doesn't like being around you in the morning. I don't know what it's like. But um, here's the thing. I, I like to arrange to have a few minutes alone with God when I first wake up. Okay, this isn't like a legalistic thing, but just a lot of times when I wake up, sometimes I'll go through the Lord's Prayer um, just to, to kind of enjoy Him. Sometimes I'll, I'll go through Psalm 23, or I'll just sit there and just enjoy Him. But I need that unhurried time of just, just connecting with Him right, right at the beginning of the day. Um, what I'll, another thing I like to do is I like to acknowledge my dependence on Him. So one, uh, something that just really marked me, I, I had dinner with my pastor, Cleddy Keith, uh, one time. And I was with someone else, and they said, what's, what's your secret to burning with passion for all these decades? And uh, it was interesting. He kind of thought for a second, and he said every day he looks at himself in the mirror and uh, recognizes his dependence on God. And so I, I don't know if you guys know my pastor, Cleddy Keith, but he, he is the most passionate guy I know, and he's been that way ever since I've known him. And so if he's saying just recognizing his absolute dependence on God was a key for him. So that's just something I've kind of adopted. I'm waking up, I'm enjoying the Lord, and I'm just recognizing my, my dependence. God, I'm going through this day, and I'm not banking on my strength. I'm recognizing I need your strength. So simply doing that. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus gives us this invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So you get to take him up in this offer by just simply offering up that prayer. God, I want, I want to spend this day with you. I'm not going to depend on my own strength. Then you can speak to Jesus about any anxieties or concerns you feel, right? You might be like, hey, I got this meeting coming up. I got this concern. I got this issue with one of my kids going on. You just begin to talk to him about those things. The psalmist says in Psalm 5.3, in the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. That's good. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. First Peter 5.7 invites us to do this. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So that's the morning. You're waking up. Your, your thoughts are about him. You're spending a little bit of time with him. You're giving him your concerns. And then comes washing. Uh, Do you guys know you can actually shower or bathe in the name of Jesus? Did you guys know this? So how many of you guys bathe on a fairly regular basis? Right? right? That was not a high percentage of hands that went up. I don't know if you're on like some water conservation thing or you just hadn't been bathing. You didn't want to raise your hand. I don't know what's happening there. <clears throat> But um, cleansing and purification, it was a real big deal in Scripture. I, I don't know if you've ever traveled to other countries where they didn't have, like, water, but we, uh, we've gone to Uganda a few times, and so we were, you know, sleeping in tents and outside, and we didn't, we didn't have any showers. We always had a water bottle and some wipes, and just, uh, like, when we got back to, uh, like, a more, I guess, modern part of the country and showering, just that showering, just being clean is a real gift. And so when the Bible is writing about these cleansing and these washings, just, just that cleansing and washing, that feeling of being clean is just a real gift for people. And so, um, uh, so priests, they had to go through a very elaborate process of this cleansing and washing. It was a physical reminder of we need to be washed by God. We need to be forgiven by the Lord. And so this whole act of baptism is this physical act of recognizing I'm being immersed in another reality. I've been cleansed of my sins. I love this phrase in uh, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. <clears throat> so tomorrow morning, whether you're just washing your face or taking a shower or whatever you're doing in your, in your cleansing time, um, maybe just pause for a moment and pray a prayer that goes something like this. God, just like the soap and water are cleansing my body, may your word and spirit cleanse my mind of any heart, mend my heart of any impurities. All the wrong intentions I know mislead me, any destructive desires. God, just cleanse them. Just wash me. 
And it's also a time just to be thankful. I, I love to do this. As I'm standing in the shower, I'm just letting the water wash over me. I just, I just remember, God, I'm so thankful that all my sins are washed away. That I can literally walk into this day guilt-free. No condemnation. God, I stand before you innocent. And so you can just use that time as just a, a time to prompt you to remember God's goodness. How are we doing? We doing okay? And then there's eating. There's a good chance that most of us will eat tomorrow at some point, and we need to recognize food is a gift from God. I want you to recognize he's a good God. He gave us taste buds, and he gave us spices. Like, he could have made it all taste like tofu, but he, uh, he gave us this whole variety. Like, just enjoying good food can be done with the Lord. We're told to pray for daily bread that God will provide. And I want you guys to get this. Every time you eat, it's not an accident. It's an act of provision from the Lord. And we can slow down, and we can do that. We can eat with God. Um, now, this may affect what I eat. I'm going to meddle here a little bit, okay? So you guys okay here? All right, some of you turn on me off. It's all right. So um, it's always kind of amusing to me. People will get, you know, uh, you know, Big Mac meal, supersized, chocolate shake, and what do they pray? Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. <laughs> like, like, you know, that's not a blessing. That's asking for a miracle, I'm not saying you can never have junk food, but it does mean that the human body is a creation of God, and it was meant to eat real food, and that's all I'm going to say about it, okay? One interesting thing is uh, when, Jesus when God revealed himself as healer in the Old Testament in Exodus, it was in the context of the dietary laws, which is a really healthy way to eat. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9.7, eat your bread with joy. I think sometimes we're woofing food in the car, we're eating over the sink, and we actually get a chance to slow down and eat your bread with joy. So, Lord, I thank you for this food. Lord, I, uh, something that I pray a lot of times is, Lord, I'm thankful because I know a lot of people aren't able to eat like this. A lot of people, food, you mean, just, just the basic survival is, is a priority for their day, and I'm thankful for that. So tomorrow, make, or actually today, after church, make mealtimes and exercise in gratitude. When you're getting ready to eat, stop and pause and be thankful and recognize God for his provision. You can use, um, use mealtimes with family as a time to catch up on your day and celebrate God's goodness and find out what's going on in their life. So, Another thing you can do is you can feed on scripture. So a lot of times when I'm eating, I'll recognize that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's quoted in the Old Testament. It's, it's quoted again in the New Testament. And so as I'm eating food, I'll recognize God. I recognize I need you just as much as I need this food. I need the word of God just as much as I need this food. Maybe you'll select a, a, a scripture like the Lord is my shepherd. And as your body's feeding on, that, on, uh, on the food, your spirit is feeding on that phrase, Lord, you are my shepherd. You can just begin to do that. Um, I think this is the final thing here. You guys all right? Uh, learn to find God each moment of the day. <clears throat> So one of the books that the kids had when they were little was Where's Waldo? You guys remember these Where's Waldo books? Where's Waldo? He was this odd little character. He had on like this striped hat and these glasses. And they would have like an intricate, well, I guess it depended. Some of them were more basic and some of them got more intricate. These scenes, and Waldo was hiding somewhere in the scene. And so you had to kind of, you got to search in there. Oh, there he is behind the bicycle rack, you know, and things like that. And so um, a lot of times finding God in your day is like, where's Waldo? Waldo was always hiding in the page. You had to find him. Listen, God is always present. He's always with you. And so sometimes you have, to, you have to look for him. You have to be intentional. Sometimes he's not uh, obvious. And so one of the best tools that I found for doing this is reviewing your day with God. I talked about it a little bit. But again, it's like a game film. 
It's you're just going through your day scene by scene with the Lord, and you're recognizing, oh, you were there. Oh, I had an opportunity to partner with you, but I just kind of went my own way. God, I don't want to miss that again. And so uh, reviewing the day with God um, is, is it's a powerful tool. And so what's going to happen, guys, is I want you guys to get this. Like abiding, if you don't abide, fruit's impossible. If you do abide, fruit's inevitable. We, this, this life of abiding, this life with God, this, this thing that we've been called into, it's a skill that can be learned. It's a habit that can be developed. Okay, you don't just like, oh, man, that, that was awesome. I'm an awesome abider. It's this time of, of taking it. And um, don't be discouraged if you're not amazing at it at first, okay? I don't, I'm not claiming to be amazing at it now. Uh, I haven't arrived, but I've left. I'm better than I was two years ago, okay? And so here's what I want you to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to do a review of the day with God. And so um, if yesterday's too far away, you can just start with the last four hours that you've been awake or five hours, whatever, how long you've been awake. But um, if you can, go back, to, go back to yesterday from the time you woke up to the time you ate to how you spent your morning. Just go through it. I'm going to give you five minutes. And uh, here's some directions. You guys have the directions on your sheet there, but I'm going to go ahead and read them to you. Is be still for a moment and quiet your mind. Then acknowledge that Jesus is present and invite him to guide you. Then recall from the beginning of the day when you first woke up. Watch that scene as if on video. What is your reaction to what you see? Talk to God about that. I want you to notice you're doing these, so you're not just watching as an observer, you're including God in the process. You're talking to him about that. Number four, continue through the video of your day going from scene to scene. As you reflect on each one, some scenes may fill you with gratitude, others with regret. Speak directly to God about this. You may also want to pray for some of the people you interacted with during the day. And number five, as you review, your, as you review with a prayer of thanksgiving for God's mercy and love, ask him to refresh you as you sleep. Okay, we can skip number five. Hopefully you guys are going to sleep right at the end of the sermon here, but that's how you would do a review of the day with God. Are you guys good? All right, so if we can just get a little bit of background music. Sorry, I didn't give you guys. Oh, we already thought these guys are on it. So don't you love our sound team? You're doing great. And by the way, we had a sound consultant come in who's going to give us a major upgrade on lights, video, sound. It's going to be amazing. 95 decibels for every seat. It's going to be so good. So, so if, you're, if you're not enjoying the static, clarity is coming. It's, it's good. So maybe it'll be some type of prophetic thing in the spirit too. It's like such, anyway, so here's what I want. Uh, five minutes. And so just go through those instructions. Settle your, slow yourself down and just review either today or yesterday with God. So I'll see you in five minutes.
All right, how did it go? All right, no one wants to talk, all right? All right. Well, good. I think it's just kind of a gift just to be able to have that unhurried time with the Lord. And so, um, you know, you find, uh, you find some things to be thankful for. If you had some regrets, that's okay, too. You know, God, God's in, he's in all of it. So here's what happens. When you review your day with God, two things are going to happen. If you do it regularly, two things are going to happen. One is you become aware of some recurring negative patterns in your life. And what's going to happen is you're going to not want to do those things anymore. And it's going to increase your desire to partner with God to get rid of those things. And uh, the second thing is you're going to be awed by God's presence in the ordinary moments of your life. And you're going to recognize that there's never another ordinary day again. They're all extraordinary because you're living the with God life. All right, let's stand for closing prayer. How about this? I realize I have more detailed notes than what you guys got. I wanted to fit it all in one sheet of paper, and it was actually six sheets. And uh, it was, well, I guess it would have been three front and back. And so I will post it on our Zion uh, private Facebook page, my notes that had the, um, the more full notes that kind of had all the suggestions for you. And so I, uh, I want us as a church to practice this. There, there, listen, you're never going to outgrow abiding. You're never going to be like, okay, yeah, abiding. We want the more advanced stuff. No, there is no more advanced stuff than walking with God, fellowship with him, enjoying his presence, walking in the spirit. There is nothing else. Like The point of it is a walk with him. The scariest verse in the Bible, perhaps, is when Jesus said to people who are doing miracles and casting out demons, depart from me, I never knew you. And so it's one thing for you to know God, but it's another thing when he doesn't know you because you've never opened your life to him. That's a, that's a scary verse. And so I, I, I want us as a church to know God and for him to know us, for us to walk with him. And so these are some real practical tools. I know this one didn't have a lot of bells and whistles. It was a real practical equipping things. We need all sorts of those things. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to underline again, guys, we're, we're never going to outgrow abiding. I'm never going to, you're not going to. So. so Lord, we love you. And we just, we're so thankful for the opportunity to walk with you, to walk with you and talk with you to do life with you, to draw strength from you, to every area of our life, to have you infuse and energize into it. So, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes. Give us a grace to find you in those moments, to slow down while we're eating, to include you in those moments, and to live an extraordinary life where the results can only be explained from you. So, Lord, I bless your people to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio that they'll give people encounters everywhere they go. They'll shift atmospheres, and they'll pe- be people who are friends of God. Yeah. So I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.